0: Welcome to Level With Emily. This is music by Joel Korolitz for Eastward. It's a pixel art adventure game in a vibrant world, and the soundtrack is absolutely great. Joel wrote a ton of music for this game. He wrote more than 70 tracks, and some of those are more chiptune-y than others, but uh, it's just so fun and colorful and absolutely wonderful. And here's Joel. Eastward
1: you know, the story is interesting because it starts kind of in the middle. Okay. Um, which which I always kind of appreciate because you're you're sort of thrown into this world and as a player you're kind of like what what's happening here? Like and and so without you know without giving away any spoilers this is all stuff players would probably figure out in the first few minutes. You're in, you're in this town which is underground. So humanity for some reason has moved underground and has been living there for kind of a while because people are in really well lived in trailers. And like, this looks like a settled, like the town that you start in, which is um, called Potcrock Isle. It looks, it's been lived in a while. And and you portray kind of two characters, but the main character is the silent protagonist named John. And John's companion is this girl, Sam, he found, who's this mysterious girl that has these powers. Um, And so you portray her because you can switch between the two characters, but also um, he's kind of protecting her So, there's sort of a relationship there where where he's like her caretaker and he watches out for her, but at the same time, like he needs her um, to help solve these quests. And and the the adventure starts from there. So, you're kind of like just plopped into this world, and you have to, the first questions you have are, you know, how long have people been living down here? Is is anyone going to make it out? Why did this happen? And so, that's kind of the world of Eastward, and, and that's where it goes.
0: get hooked up with this project then how did you how did that happen so I've been involved with the project since 2016
1: which is the longest I've ever been involved with a game and of course it's it hasn't been you know every day but but I have had a chance to sort of be in this world for five years now it's an interesting story and actually this is probably the first time I've said this publicly although it's not a secret or anything there was a the, the most recent trailer um, which got really a, good, a really good response. It's kind of this chiptune, like arpeggio kind of propulsive piece um, yeah. was actually written for another game. Oh um,
0: gosh, okay.
1: A, a failed Kickstarter, and oh, wow. and I I was I was always I loved this piece. I was always so happy with it. <laughs> It caught the attention when, at the time, I think I wrote it in 2014 or 2015, it caught the attention of Pixpill, the developer of Eastward, Yeah, based in Shanghai. And so they contacted me and they said, we've got this pixel art RPG. Are you interested in it? Um, and I can tell you more sort of about how that process evolved. But what was so cool was because, you know, I had the rights to this piece and, and, and we ended up using it for the for the eastward launch trailer. So this piece that sort of was the reason why we worked together ended up being kind of the the final piece that was that sort of sealed eastward as a I don't know, as as a thing. <laughs>
0: The style of being, you know, kind of 8-bit, kind of 16-bit, yeah. you know, I mean, it's wonderful. So talk to it's me about so writing, fun. yeah, writing in that style. Well,
1: for me, it's like I've always it, wanted to write a, a chiptune score because that's what I grew up with. And like, and I, I've, I've probably, you know, I've probably said it before during one of our conversations. I mean, those sounds are what got me into not just video games and music, but those are what got me into music. Those are why I'm a composer. Wow, And, you know, growing up, there was so much, I think there was so much soul to those sounds of those old systems because they all had their own character because the character of like the Nintendo Entertainment System and the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, all of which of course had different names in Japan, but they were all defined by the hardware and the chips that were inside. And And I think that there was something, there's something really fascinating about the idea that the composers for those systems had to know, they had to know the technology just as well as Yeah. The, and so, to me, I've always appreciated kind of like the duality of of that job, and mm-hmm. that's part of part of why i I like doing what I do, which is I like you know opportunities to fuse the creative stuff with technical stuff and it, it's yeah. just exciting to me and it and I already went off on a tangent, but I <laughs> let me <laughs> bring it back here to what you actually asked me, which is you know what's what's so interesting about you know doing doing a pixel art game in a chiptune score in 2021 is that we're not bound by those hard, the rules of of those of that hardware anymore so for me it was an opportunity really to just kind of make this score kind of a love letter to the origins of of like what turned me into a, you know inspired me to be a composer mm-hmm. which is You've got this game, which is beautiful. It's this beautiful pixel art game yeah. that looks way better than sixteen bit games ever did. So, <laughs> yeah. but it kind of looks like how we remember sixteen bit games looking, because at the time, like the the sixteen bit evolution, you know, and talking about Genesis, Super Nintendo, or, or Mega Drive and Super Famicom, after like the eight bit era, seemed like it was just you know it was twice as good. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. you know, it <laughs> looked so good. So it's this kind of like enhanced version of nostalgia. Yep. And what it enabled me to kind of, so, so Eastward has this, has lighting effects. It has higher resolution. It has more colors It all that stuff. It just pops. And yet it still reminds us, it puts us right back into sort of that, that mindset of playing those games as a kid. If, you know, if, yeah. if any of us did, the, the, one of the great things is I think even if people didn't play those games as a kid, there's something to that pixel art and chiptune aesthetic that appeals to to younger gamers too. I mean my mm-hmm. kids love it and they never played a they never played a, a game like that growing up obviously. So it was an opportunity just to like open up that palette and not worry so much about like all right, this is a, this is an 8-bit palette and it's going to a game that's kind of a callback to a 16-bit era. But to me all that stuff deserved to be in the score. Yeah. So for, for me it was like it was kind of just a return to my roots and an opportunity to experiment and it, with sounds that that inspired me to be a composer.
0: when I got the soundtrack I was like 72 tracks <laughs> well I should I can tell you how that happened Yeah go Dude, tell yeah.
1: me <laughs> I was originally contracted to write um, I, I don't I honestly don't remember it was like 40 or 60 minutes Okay we were done with that by 2018 and you know I there was a point in the process when it was like all right this game is kind of getting bigger and there's more there was more buzz building and the game was Bigger and longer than everyone initially thought it would be, so I just said, "All right, I'll just write some additional music for me." The, and it was a good opportunity. We thought this game was going to come out in 2018 when I started on it. Oh, okay. So, kind of around then was like a. It was sort of a good beat to be like, "All right, what do we have? What do we need?" And I listened back to the score, and I think my initial compositions for the game were, were probably a little, I, I steered a little bit away from chiptune because I wanted to kind of match that modern aesthetic. I wanted to conjure the feeling of old school games without like directly, you know, making something that you, that you could put into the chiptune genre. Yeah. But then I was like, you know what, let's just do some chiptunes because there's they're great. Like there's just something infectious and I love them and people love chiptunes and I love writing them. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to do a bunch and let's just do that. And we'll call it additional music. And I think the, by the time we were done, you know, and we finished like, I think I wrote, I wrote a piece, you know, some of the last pieces just a month or two ago, probably maybe, oh, wow. maybe a little more than that, but yeah. fairly recently in, in 2021. And I think by the time the we were done, the additional music folder was like more music than the, <laughs> than the first round, <laughs> yeah. but it like, I'm sort of glad it worked like that because it was a good chance to be like. What does a pixel art game really need? And and it was a good opportunity to fill it out with some different genres. So it really is this it's this total variety pack of video game music genres. And it's not all just callbacks and nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. I right. mean, we tried to kind of temper it with with some new flavors. And and that's one of, one of the things I love about the game and the world is it's it's it brings a lot you know, like I said, with the lighting engine and, and with the story and, and even some of the irreverent characters and the way that the dialogue mm. works or that you know, the dialogue itself, um, I should say the script, it it just feels modern. And it, so it's, this is not just a callback, you know? And, and so I think for the music, it was like, we needed a score that felt like it drew from a whole bunch of different stuff, which yeah. of course is like, that's what I love about being a composer is like, you get to do something different all the time.
0: The other thing, you know, of course, is these are, you know, loops, right? I mean, and it's not—you've yeah. been writing looping music for your whole career, I'm sure—but it, it, it seems different. So, can can you talk to me about that?
1: You mean you mean in terms of like the fact that it's loops?
0: Well, I could explain it as simply as you know when you're listening to the soundtrack it just fades out cuz you know yeah, it's just a loop. So yeah. and that to me is very quintessential of listening to a chiptune soundtrack. Yes. So, I, compared exactly. to compared to your other soundtracks where you're crafting these for the soundtrack too. You know what i mean? Yeah. So that's i guess kind of what i'm getting at.
1: Yeah, you know, i it's a it was a good opportunity. I mean, as you know, i'm really interested in generative scores and adaptive scores and yeah. music that doesn't follow a linear form, but I also, you know, I'm very careful about always doing what's right for the project. And in a game like Eastward, there's no need for this music to be adapt- adaptive. In fact, yeah. looping music is going to recall the genre um, better than anything. So yeah, you're exactly right. All these pieces, just they just loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think there might be a couple where we, you know, where there's like a layer that gets added depending on something, but that's, there's probably a, only a handful of examples of those. And Yeah, I mean, for the soundtrack itself, they either fade or I put an ending on them. But these tracks are are designed to loop forever if you were to stand in the same place.
0: Other thing I love, too, is that it's so, of course, the game isn't out yet as we're speaking right now. So my assumption is, is that you've made little songs for like if you go into the shop or if you go visit this one. And that's so nostalgia. That word comes back again. You know, you just love hearing these little, just this little tiny boop that you're going to hear when you go visit that shopkeeper. Yeah. 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 Where
1: it's like you go into the shop, the the town music fades out. And now we're in the shop. In yeah. the, it's the shop music. <laughs> yeah. And that's just how. Where it, I think it's like the implementation is. You know, I'm I still like no matter how much of a fan I am of adaptive and generative music, which, of which you know I'm a pretty big proponent of that stuff, as yeah. you know as you know from Gorakoa and and some other projects I've worked on, but like I also think that the simplest implementation is always the best, and. In this case, it was like, well, let's, you know, let's plop in a loop and then and and have it loop indefinitely as long as the player is in that same place. But just because of the nature of these games, you're going in and out of different you're going in and out of different environments. You are communicating with different characters. So the tracks in Eastward either follow a place, a character, or a mood. And because that that dynamic is always changing because you're always, this is a story driven game where you're interacting with lots of different environments and lots of different characters. That music is always changing. So really it, it starts to feel just like a, like a playlist that every, <laughs> that you're constantly shuffling through. Yeah. And that's, and there's, there's pieces that you'll hear rec, you know, recur throughout the whole game. Mm-hmm. To me, that was a huge, that's a big staple of this genre of, yeah. of kind of just hearing the same pieces. And to me, it's all like, It's all just part of the world.
0: so when you knew you were going to be doing this you know 5 years ago now i guess i mean do you have any i guess opinion on knowing that you're you're like well i know i'm not going to have to use live saxophone or yeah. record a singer or whatever you know i mean what what does that kind of free up for you because i imagine that could be freeing while also being somewhat of a restriction
1: it yeah it it is i mean any kind of any creative um, guidelines are always both. There are always restrictions and opportunities. And so, yeah, I think we knew that we weren't going to record live players just because I don't, I don't think, I think everything to some extent to mirror this, this pixel art world had to feel somewhat like mechanical, I guess. Yeah. It's not, that's not the perfect word, but everything is, is Pretty quantized in terms; it's very locked into the beat. It needed to feel like it could conceivably be played back by an old system. At the same time, you know, like I think it would be it'd be easy in some ways to go all the way to the other side, which is I am only going to use eight-bit sounds. I'm only gonna you know, write music with a tracker and, you know, and be a total purist about how to write chiptune music. But I, I think that continuum ended up being somewhere in the middle where it was like, we don't, I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to totally restrict because I think doing that then would be mostly just about nostalgia. Yeah. So it was a, every piece was kind of a decision about, all right, well, you know, what end of the, of the continuum are we in terms of like chiptune tune nostalgia and modern music, but it always needed to feel like okay, I could I could sort of hear this played back on the Super Nintendo or or the Genesis or something. And to me, if it put you there enough, it was it was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, There's some pieces, of course, that you know we used, I used a lot of modern production and processing and things that just weren't possible. Yeah, back then. Like that was a question I had the whole process, which is like, how do we define this thing? Like, each does each piece need to feel the same or different, and how different? To me, that's like a constant. Every project I work on, not just Eastward, is like, all right, you define your design language, and then you and then you sort of assess does each piece feel on brand? Yeah. Um, really, that's I think that's the best way I can describe it because it's like everything is a product essentially. I mean. Not to—I know that makes it sound clinical and dry, but to me, it actually adds another dimension to it, which I think is is pretty interesting. It's a puzzle to solve, and it's like, all right, does this piece fit fit this product? And and you know, I tried to not be like—you also don't—you can't overthink it. It's like, all right, I could see this in the game, but then a product has to be multidimensional to work. So there were like one of the one of the things—the director Tomo of Pixbill suggested was, hey, we've got all these opportunities to like, where we just need a little something, you know, we need like a little mood. So could you try just some ambient music that's just one or two layers? Those I did, you know, with analog synths and um, and you know, tons of reverb and stuff. <laughs> and and Silent Mist is an example of one of those pieces. Um, some of that stuff was. It worked great. And it was it wasn't something that I would initially have thought to put in Eastward because one of the things that, you know, as you know, the the original eight and sixteen bit systems did not do ambient drawn out languid music very well <laughs> right. because they just weren't that's just not the sounds that I mean Metroid did a pretty good job actually with Well, it. Metroid. But,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: but that's like gold standard. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think we ended up doing like 13 or 14 of these ambient pieces with one layer and they worked Mm -hmm. great. And you know, most of them are on the soundtrack too. So that's kind of how we ended up with 72 tracks where it was like, (laughs) let's just put it all in. Sometimes I'm editing the soundtrack down. And in this case, I'm like, nope. if it's in the game, it's on the soundtrack.
0: I love that. (laughs) I'm wondering, Joel, if you would mind just kind of talking about the different ways that you can compose in the, in a chiptune style, because you mentioned writing with the tracker if you're a purist and just for people who are kind of unfamiliar with how that works, because it can be done with a piano keyboard now. But I mean, yeah. talk talk a little bit about, you know, the the multitudinous ways that you can write chiptune music, if you would. A tracker, and this is, I'm, a
1: tracker is like a grid-based recording system where yeah. you are I think there's different kinds of trackers, but essentially you are you are chaining patterns of like four bars at a time, Um, and you're doing it on a grid with your usually with the mouse or even on a you know like you can you can have tracking software like MIDI MIDI sequencing and tracking software on even older computers where you're just it almost looks like a spreadsheet you know you're just you're just picking and I think that's very that more similar to what the composers for the for eight the bit era had to deal with. I mean, I, I'm assuming they probably sat down at the piano, wrote something compelling and then had to shoehorn that into a tracker. But it, yeah, a, a tracker, I think at its kind of simplest definition is a, is a collection of patterns that generally are, are on a 16th note grid. And, and, it's, and creating a piece, a piece that has a, a beginning, a middle and an end is, is, a, is an exercise in chaining those patterns together and, and creating something that feels linear. Um, and then you know it makes you appreciate things like you know the original Super Mario Brothers had a shuffled rhythm, which means that you have to delay some of those sixteenth notes, and yeah. that stuff is super complicated. Like in a <laughs> in a sequencer now, in a regular DAW like Logic or Cubase or whatever, you just quantize it to shuffle, <laughs> and like but that is that was no small task back then. And for me, it's like, just, you know, I could have gone and used a tracker, but I just found, you know, I, I think mo- the modern tools are, they make our lives so much easier as yeah. composers. In fact, a lot of the chiptune pieces on Eastward, some of them do have, I have a MIDI controlled NES. So I was able to, there's, oh, there's a lot of sounds from that, okay. which died at some point during the process. <laughs> um, but a lot of the lead sounds in the, in the most recent trailer, which is a track called Iron Carbine, Those lead sounds are just regular synths playing pulse waves. Because one of the things, and this is one of the things I teach, you know, I, I I do a day on this with my my grad students in my music for games class, which is like you don't have to you don't have to buy like a sample pack of NES sounds or anything to make those sounds. They're just pulse waves with no filter. Wow! Well, so yeah. <laughs> you, you just get the you get the duty cycle right, and it just sounds like an old system. It's great.
0: If we can just put a pause on talking about yeah. Eastward for a minute, I'd love to hear more about your teaching because I don't think I've ever talked to you about that. So tell me a little oh, bit about okay. uh, about that and how long you've been doing it.
1: I teach a Music for Games class at Columbia in Chicago. Columbia is it's a college, but this particular program is a grad program. So they do have a few MFA programs. Um, it's, it's part of a larger program called Music Composition for the Screen. And my class, Music for Games, is it's a two year program. So they take my class during their, the students take my class during their second year. So it's a year long two semester course where I just basically take them through a bunch of projects I've worked on because I know the ins and the outs of, of everything and they write pieces and then we critique them together. And the reason we do it like that is because I have found that this job, it's like there's every, I think every job is like this, where there's the job everyone thinks you do. And then there's yeah. what the job really is, which is everyone thinks that I'm a composer and I write music and that's what I do. And it <laughs> is. But what I really do is communicate and figure out how to turn that conversation that I have with the developer I'm working with or whoever I'm working with into something that fits what they're what they're making. So um what everyone hears is the final product. What everyone doesn't hear is the result of all those conversations, all the things that ended up on the cutting room floor, all the revisions, all that stuff. To me, that is what the daily life of being a composer is about. And that's what I try to teach my students, which is um, it's not just what you make, it's kind of how you respond to feedback. You know, getting some piece of feedback like someone will be like, well, it sounds too well, the the thing I get the most is is this conversation about energy, which is like, It doesn't have enough energy, or it needs more, or something. Mm -hmm. Everyone means something different when they say that. Yeah. So figuring out, well, what does the person I'm working with mean is a huge part of what I do, and that's why, like, every project is a new relationship, and it takes it takes time to sort of start to communicate on the same level. Eastward was done entirely over email, which is well, because
0: they're in Shanghai, right. right? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think there was some. Some um, trepidation on their part um, on Pixpill's part to where they've you know said, "Well, my English is not good, and we should just do this on email." I mean, f- two things. I think it's w- like talking with chucklefish, I think it sounds like you know Skype calls and everything have gone great, and also their English is way better than my Mandarin, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. which is nonexistent. So yeah. I'm hoping at some point we'll we'll get on the phone. I mean, that's one thing about doing this during a pandemic is I hope yeah. at least we get a chance to hang out at GDC.
0: if
1: if we ever do that again.
0: But yeah, that whole dynamic of talking to, in particular, non-musicians about music and what music they want that's can be an uphill battle, you know.
1: Yeah, and one of the things we talk about is like, you know, if if you write a piece and the and your client or collaborator, developer, whoever is like, there's you know, can you just change the organ sound or the trumpet sound and there's no organ and trumpet in the piece. I'm like, <laughs> don't say don't be like there's no trumpet in the piece, you idiot. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, that's that's one thing where it's like, well, how do you know how do you respond to that? And and that's one of the things that comes up because it's like all right, well, you know, to me, it's like, well, let's figure out what sounds like a trumpet to you, or, yeah. or just shutting up about it and figuring it out yourself, yeah. which is because, like, really, that's what I'm hired to do. I'm hired, like, a, a composer is especially, you know, for a game or for when you're contributing your music to something, you are there to help the process. And yeah, that's how you get hired again is just being helpful. So <laughs> to me, like, you know, I think what one thing that's really interesting is I will give feedback. I will give feedback the same way a developer gives feedback. So I don't tell composers what chords to play, what melodies to play, anything like that. We don't. We don't go. We don't do a deep dive into that. But I will say stuff like, you know, this you need to feel more like a hero in this battle, or you, or this this needs to feel sad or whatever. I mean, yeah. And the composers will be like, "How do I do that? I don't know. How, I don't, what what should I do?" And I'm like, mm. "You figure it out." <laughs> so. And you know, and I, and I, I help guide that process a little bit, but that's our job—is like, all right, figuring out like, what the hell does this person mean when they say this? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the job, and like, I enjoy that communication, and that's why I like this. You know, I think it's. Yeah. Sometimes I think composers are surprised that that's really what the job is, because you're not just getting hired to do whatever you want. You're, right. you're getting hired to listen to somebody. And, yeah. And ref, you know, write music that reflects their. Their vision, and you know, of course, you bring your own to it too.
0: But did you find that writing music in this style came pretty naturally? Because, again, it is. Most of it is just really quite different, right?
1: Yeah, it did. Because I think for me, that music's in me. Like as a kid, it's just those, some of it is about just those formative years of, you know, the, a lot of the music I heard as a kid and, and sort of sculpted me as a composer happened to just be music that was from video games, because that's some of what I was doing. Of course, I, I don't think games took as long back then, or asked as much of the player. So we were <laughs> yeah, also riding yeah. bikes and things. But yeah, um, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I so I think it was that stuff was kind of all all in my compositional DNA that shaped me as a composer. So to to sort of have it come out was was pretty easy. I mean, I I think what's so interesting too about just like the job of being a composer is you you got all, you know you you sort of have what you think you do as a composer. But then like you're, you're also limited by the opportunities you have to express that. So I always felt like I was more of an electronic sound design. I wouldn't call myself a chiptune composer because that's such a genre specific thing. Yeah. But I always felt like that was kind of more of more my DNA than even some of the projects I've worked on, which are like more neoclassical. And you sort yeah. of, as a composer, you your job is to write the appropriate thing for what you get hired for, which sometimes does not end up being the thing that you thought you did. Yeah, And that's not to say that I don't love every opportunity. To me, that's the most exciting thing about this is like, you just don't know what you're going to be writing sometimes that day. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, that's one interesting thing where it's like, this is the kind of score that I've wanted to write for a long time. And this was the first time I've gotten a chance to do it.
0: Did you get a yeah. chance to play it much? I mean, I how? Have.
1: Yeah, you know, okay. I, I should admit I'm not. I, I ha- I'm not totally done with it yet. I have played through most of it, and it's okay. uh, it's enchanting. Like yeah. it's, I love it. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of character driven like action RPG that like that I want. You know. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I hope fans are gonna feel the same way because I'm sure because I've loved my time with it.
0: Is there anything you're working on right now that you can tell us
1: about? There's, it's been a really busy year. So I did, so, you know, and this is maybe something we can talk about in the future. I, um, it, although this isn't like off the record or anything, I did, I was one of the composers for Halo Infinite, which oh, was- Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was uh, that was awesome. I can't wait for everyone to hear what we did on that. So yeah. far, the game and the score are, are getting such great feedback.
0: Nice. So that was,
1: that was like, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I moved and I was working on Halo Infinite and it was wow. like- it was just an insane time, but it was, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so I did that. And then there's a few other projects that are under wraps right now. Um, what I probably can say, cause I'm on the website now is that I am contributing music, um, to solar ash, which is heart machines next game. So nice. that is, that's coming together really well. And I love working with that team. So Rich Freeland, disaster piece is yeah. he's on that team. Um, Troop Gamage is the audio lead at, at Heart Machine, and he is a gem. Like he is okay. one of the yeah. most articulate, awesome to work with people I've, I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So nice. um, I'm excited to. to Say more about that project, but Mm -hmm. that's probably one of the ones I can say more about. Oh, and I did another game with Annapurna. I did a um, a beautiful narrative, story-driven game called A Memoir Blue, which is much different. It's a it's a really heartfelt, emotional story. Um, Very restricted palette, very intimate. Um, I also supervised uh, three songs that are in the game. Oh, cool! I also do a lot of like just this is. It's kind of different, but it's also related because it's all music. But but even in the sense that like, video game music has UI sounds and, and music and mm-hmm. item pickup sounds, and that's very similar to the work I do in audio branding. So I've done... A lot of UI and chime sounds, actually, for the automotive industry lately.
0: Oh, um, fun! Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. uh,
1: actually, if you if you drive a Mach E, the new Ford Mach E, and you hear the chimes, I did I did all those. And then there's this there's a surgical robot called the Da Vinci that I did a lot of the a lot of the UI sounds for. Oh wow! Um, that's the that's the one from they did surgery on a grape, which was a meme a few years ago. So okay. It's the surgical robot <laughs> robot from that meme.
0: Oh, that's so cool! <laughs> yeah. Sound design in that way. I mean, that's such a different. Uh, that's just so different than sitting there and trying to compose a melody or something. But you're still trying to compose something consonant and not annoying, right? Which I think is kind not of the annoying, goal. <laughs> not
1: annoying is very important. Yes, and it's true. That's like I think that is one of the things I think about is all right. The user is going to hear this like thousands of times, especially in like yeah. a, a car. But even like an item pickup sound, it's yep. like all right. Yeah. How do you? Those to me are the Every sound in a video game is functional to some extent, even if it's music, because it has yeah. to communicate something. But those sounds are purely functional. So it's like we need a sound that communicates information, like you got this thing, or your character got hurt, or, um, or in the you know in the product sound world, like your dishes are done, like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And you have to do it in a way that communicates that information simply. Effectively, with some flair that represents the product, with some sense of style, and in a yeah. way where you're not going to hear it and be like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> you know, like, or just something you're going to turn off, which is, yeah. of course, what some people hear sound and it's like, "Where's, the, where's the setting where I turn that off?" I don't want people to use that setting, um, and I say that as the as a person that finds that setting. Yeah, <laughs> on a lot of yeah. stuff.
0: <laughs> With Eastward, did you do any implementation? I don't. I don't think you did sound design. Did I you didn't. Just?
1: No, okay. sound yeah. design is being done by Hyperduck. That's um, what I thought. A studio yeah. out of out of um, I think Ireland. And yep. Mm-hmm. It's it's sounding awesome. So, yeah, this was a game where I just I, I had the the luxury and the pleasure of just writing music. Yeah. I didn't do any of the implementation, aside from just making the tracks loop, which yep. is. Um, which is another just little thing we talk about in class, which is how do you make a seamless loop? And it's pretty easy. But yeah. so everything I delivered, I just I ensured would just loop seamlessly, so that the the you know so the developers didn't have to do anything or too mm-hmm. much extra. But we did pick a you know a very implementation light musical strategy for this yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's always different because sometimes I'm doing it, sometimes I'm not, sometimes I'm do- I'm doing some of it. Oh. And speaking of that, I'm, I'm doing music for a VR game called, um, right now it's, it's a, I think it's a working title called Project Clockwork being developed by, uh, a studio called Pontoco, formerly, I can't, I got to look it up cause I can't, I can't remember what they called themselves before. Oh, mm-hmm. a stranger gravity. That's oh, okay. They did a game called Gathering Sky. And so I am doing some of the music implementation for that because we're doing a, a pretty okay. interesting adaptive model, um, where there's these kind of what we're calling musical soups where, um, there's like a layer that comes in, and then there's other layers that come in, kind of like goragoa, except it's rhythmic. So, okay. So it's this true polyphony because everything has to be compatible with everything else, yeah. No matter when it comes in, so that's always like a that's a musical puzzle, and I yep. I, I like solving those.
0: would you like to say about making the music for such an amazing project?
1: Well, just that I hope it does all the things. I hope it conjures everything I want it to in in the listening audience, which is like, I want it to, I want it to evoke nostalgia and form a connection with this world and characters, but I also want it to feel fresh and new. And I want it to feel like, you know, kind of, I want it to, you know ultimately do what what was my favorite thing about music which is this it's kind of this musical souvenir that sticks with you after you play the game so when yeah. people play when people listen to the soundtrack after they play the game i want them to think about the points in the story that they connected with when they heard that music i hope that's what happens i'm i'm excited about it i can't wait until people play this game
0: About how people listen to the soundtrack, Joel.
1: Well, it's an exclusive right now. Um, it's, it's exclusively available on Bandcamp, which is just JoelCorlitz.bandcamp.com. Uh, if you go there, Eastward, you'll go right to the Eastward release. You can pre-order it now. It'll get, it'll come out on September 16th when the game comes out. Um, in the meantime, you pre-orders get immediate access to the most recent trailer version of a track called, I alluded to before. It's called Iron Carbine. There's another version of it on the soundtrack that's a little more eight-bit. That's actually in the game.
0: Always a pleasure, but uh, a pleasure to, to talk to you today. It's great to talk to you, too.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's, it's really fun to talk about this.
0: Thanks for listening to Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Joel Corlitz and see a playlist at patreon.com level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. It's made possible by Adam Selvich at Tiki Web Services. And our YouTube channel is managed by composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.